Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. So far, we've looked at a series of exercises that challenge the presumption of a substantial body that exists in nature from its own side. In each exercise, we considered evidence of the body but failed to find the body as a thing in itself. If the body exists substantially, then the self must exist at least as substantially. So ultimately, we are challenging the notion of a more or less fixed or even eternal self. Many authors regard the dispelling of a presumption of the self as the main function of the satipatthana practice. The self that underlies that craving, attachment, becoming and suffering, life after life that underlies the human condition. The body as a real thing is rather something we overlay conceptually on the world than take very seriously. Now, if the self is not found in the body, might it be found somewhere else? Perhaps in the mind. The self is surely not just a physical thing. It is conscious. It feels. It experiences and interacts with the world. It plans and acts. It has good days and bad days. The world matters to the self. The remaining exercises of the Satipatthana approach the self from this angle. They form the three remaining groups, contemplation of feeling, contemplation of mind, and contemplation of phenomena. Actually, each of the contemplation of feeling and mind are just one exercise. Contemplation of phenomena is quite open-ended. I should say from the outset that separating out what is physical and what is mental is not as easy as it sounds. Probably most of the misunderstanding of Dhamma comes from thinking we can do this. The problem is that everything we experience, absolutely everything, whether physical or mental, is an interpretation and interpretations are products of the mind. This is the whole point of internal analysis, to show that what we are absolutely convinced exists in its own right, in particular the self or the body, but anything else as well, is an interpretation, in particular a presumption that may or may not turn out to be true. When we recognize this, we don't need to be bound by our presumptions. We can experience the world otherwise in a less problematic way. But at the same time, we also presume there is a mind, my mind, that does the interpreting. Probably the least interpreted physical experiences are raw sense data. What impinges on the eye 
the ear, the nose, and so on. For instance, the colors, shapes, textures that fall on the retina. These are called forms, or rupa, in Pali. This is actually the realm of consciousness we call bare awareness or pure sensation that we tend to slip into when the mind is very, very concentrated. Also, when we wake up in the morning, we first see visual sense data as we try to focus our eyes. Then our interpretation kicks in. We perceive things that we can label, impose connections on and apprehend, and even presume that these things exist from their own side. This is the mind at work. This is what the mind does. But even the raw sense data, our bare awareness, is interpreted to a great extent by our physiological and neural architecture. The particular colors we see, for instance, are determined by four kinds of receptors in the retina. About half of what we examine in the remaining exercises as mind are the architecture of interpretation that construct our experiential world. The other half is mind states that don't in themselves refer to anything physical. The overarching purpose of the body contemplations, at least as I've presented them, is internal analysis, which breaks up the presumptions that bind us to fixed ways of thinking. However, we discovered that many of the exercises have a secondary purpose. For instance, to underscore the loathsomeness of the body as a way of dispelling the problematic craving and attachments we experience around bodies. In many of the remaining contemplations, internal analysis becomes secondary, but in others it becomes much deeper than what we've seen so far. Alongside this, the dharmic content of the body contemplations has been largely limited to the internal analysis itself. We're not really interested in human anatomy, for instance, as a matter of dharma or the shape of the breath. This changes with respect to feeling, mind, and phenomena, which we contemplate properly against a background of potentially deep right understanding of the Dharma and familiarity with many teachings and many discourses outside of the Satipatthana itself. Our main task in these exercises is to fully internalize these teachings by locating them and befriending them in experience to learn to see through the eyes of the Buddha. Yet the internal analysis refrain is repeated throughout as at least of secondary importance. So let's turn to feeling. First, feeling is not emotion, or at least does not cover the range of emotions. Here is how the feeling exercise is described in the Satipatthana Sutta. And how, bhikkhus, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating feelings as feeling? Here, when feeling a pleasant feeling, a bhikkhu understands, I feel a pleasant feeling. 
When feeling a painful feeling, he understands, I feel a painful feeling. When feeling a neither painful nor pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel a neither painful nor pleasant feeling. When feeling a worldly pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. When feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel an unworldly pleasant feeling. When feeling a worldly painful feeling, he understands, I feel a worldly painful feeling. When feeling an unworldly painful feeling, he understands, I feel an unworldly painful feeling. When feeling a worldly, neither painful nor pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel a worldly, neither painful nor pleasant feeling. When feeling an unworldly, neither painful nor pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel an unworldly, neither painful nor pleasant feeling. As we experience the world, we overlay this particular kind of classification in terms of what matters to us. We have an immediate positive feeling that's pleasant or a negative feeling that's painful or simply neutral that's neither painful nor pleasant. These feelings come in greater or lesser degrees. If we have a toothache, for instance, we might have a rather intense painful feeling. But most feelings are extremely subtle. You can tune into feelings by trying to feel the world rather than merely observing it. The first thing we discover about feelings is that they arise at all levels of interpretation. If we're sitting on the cushion attending to pure sensations, a little breeze, sounds of nature, tensions in the body, we find a constant stream of likes and dislikes, positive and negative feelings. But when we investigate the source of the sensations out there, our likes and dislikes might change. Someone was once meditating and a sound arose. Beep, beep, beep. It might have been pleasant at first, but then he interpreted it as coming from someone's cell phone. The feeling was painful, and soon he was caught up in anger. Why can't that guy answer his cell phone? Doesn't he know I'm meditating here? A long string of painful experiences. But then he happened to reinterpret the raw auditory data. Hey, that's a bird. And his experience became pleasant. In brief, each layer of interpretation brings new feelings. Why are we concerned with feeling of all things? There are two reasons. First, feeling is evidence for the self, the one who feels, the one for whom the world matters. And therefore, feeling serves as an opportunity through internal analysis of once again deconstructing the self. Second, feeling is connected to almost everything else in the Dharma. And it's a fundamental part of right understanding. For the Buddha, all things come together in feeling. Feeling, or some form of like and dislike, is basic to life 
itself. Even an amoeba knows, move toward nutriment, move away from toxin. Feeling is one of the 12 links of dependent co-arising, where it's the conditioning factor of craving. And the Four Noble Truths tell us that craving is the cause of suffering. And what is suffering? A painful feeling. Feeling is also an attractor for attention. And where attention alights, the world is further cognized. Therefore, feeling guides the construction of the experiential world and of what we presume to be true. Feeling also appears in connection with spiritual attainments and with jhana. That is what the unworldly as opposed to worldly is about, as categories that cross-cut pleasant, painful, and neutral in the description of the feeling exercise I just read. Practitioners want to spend a lot of time investigating feeling. One thing we might discover is how much pleasure we can derive from communing with nature, as long as we can still the mind. Another is how much we suffer pain in all of its guises, almost constantly throughout the day, and how it tends to overwhelm the amount of pleasure we feel even when we think we're having fun. Investigating feeling informs us of where the suffering or pleasure arises and under what conditions, for instance, we discover it when we are convinced our presumptions are true and crave what we presume. When we recognize this, we are more likely to pull back from our presumptions like a hand that has touched a hot stove. Feelings warn us when we are about to get caught in craving and attachment. Let's turn to internal analysis of feeling. Contemplating feeling internally is what was already described, noting pleasant, painful, neutral, worldly and unworldly feelings, and then deepening this investigation to the various other things the Buddha teaches us about feelings, particularly the conditional relations it enters into. Contemplating feeling externally is to acknowledge that presumption for which feeling provides evidence. The Satipatthana Sutta does not tell us what that presumption is, but elsewhere in the Diga Nikaya, it is described as the self just as we expected. In what ways, Ananda, do people regard the self? They equate the self with feeling. Feeling is myself. Or, feeling is not myself. Myself is impercipient. Or, feeling is not myself, but myself is not impercipient. It is of the nature to feel. This gives us three options for analyzing the self. First, it is simply equivalent to feeling, which is the basis of the feeling exercise. This kind of makes sense since feeling represents the interests of the self with respect to what is not the self, even for the amoeba. Second, is that the self has nothing to do with feeling or with mind 
which leaves body, which is the basis of all of the previous exercises. Third is that the self is mind. A feeling is just part of mind, which is the basis of the mind exercises to follow. The passage continues based on the assumption that feeling is the self. What is remarkable about this passage is that it walks us through contemplation both internally and externally. That is, it holds feeling and self side by side and evaluates the sufficiency of feeling as evidence for self and comes up short. Now, Ananda, one who says, feeling is myself, should be told, there are three kinds of feeling, friend, pleasant, painful, and neutral. Which of the three do you consider to be yourself? When a pleasant feeling is felt, no painful or neutral feeling is felt, but only pleasant feeling. When a painful feeling is felt, no pleasant or neutral feeling is felt, but only a painful feeling. And when a neutral feeling is felt, no pleasant or painful feeling. The argument here is similar to that for postures and actions. Feelings keep arising and falling. They are insubstantial and each unlike the one before. How can that be evidence for something as substantial and fixed as the self is presumed to be? The passage then doubles down along the lines of internal analysis by turning to the contemplations on impermanence. Pleasant feeling is impermanent, conditioned, dependently arisen, bound to decay, to vanish, to fade away, to cease. And so too are painful feeling and neutral feeling. So anyone who, on experiencing a pleasant feeling, thinks, this is myself, must at the cessation of that pleasant feeling think, myself has gone, and the same with painful and neutral feelings. Thus, whoever thinks feeling is myself is contemplating something in this present life that is impermanent, a mixture of happiness and unhappiness, subject to arising and passing away. Therefore, it is not fitting to maintain feeling is myself. And this passage is quite noteworthy in that it takes us through the process of internal analysis for feeling in a much more explicit way than anything we are given in the Satipatthana Sutta itself. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the internal analysis refrain is as follows. In this way, he abides contemplating feelings as feeling internally, or he abides contemplating feelings as feeling externally, or he abides contemplating feelings as feeling both internally and externally, or else he abides contemplating in feelings their nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in feelings their nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in feelings 
their nature of both arising and vanishing, or else mindfulness that there is a feeling is simply established in him to the extent necessary, or else mindfulness that there is feeling is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating feelings as feeling. So this is the contemplation of feeling. As part of acquiring right understanding of the Dharma, there is much to contemplate with regard to feeling, and we should be willing to do that any time of day. We will have a bit more to say about feeling in a few weeks when we take up the contemplation of the aggregates, since feeling is also one of the aggregates. Next week, we will move on to contemplation of mind, which, like feeling, is represented by a single exercise. <laughs> 